serve as a professional courtesy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another caffeine-fueled real estate realities with the Rebel Broker. My name is Robert Whitelaw, and I am the Rebel Broker, licensed real estate broker in the state of California. Member of the National Association of Real Tours. But please, don't hold that against me. Welcome to it, everybody. Fabulous Friday here again. Hope you have accomplished all of your deepest desires for the week. It's been a it's been another crazy week. This is like the fourth week in a row, I think, where things have just been kind of nuts. Um, and we've got some interesting things happening on the on the government side in terms of tax stuff. We'll talk about that. But before we do, let's remind everyone how to get in touch. The best way, the website, therebelbroker.com is the place. It is the soft, chewy epicenter of the real estate realities on the internet. Head on over to therebelbroker.com. From there, you can send along any ideas, suggestions, observations, or questions that you might have, and I will happily reply to you. Of course, you can also join the Rebel Underground while you're there. Uh, There's plenty of buttons around the site. Uh, Every player, I believe, has the button for you to join the Rebel Underground. Or if you prefer, you you have a thing, you don't like to click buttons, you can text the word Rebel Broker to the number 44222. That's text the word Rebel Broker to the number 44222, and you will be given the opportunity to join the esteemed ranks of the Rebel Underground. You're welcome. Finally, if you'd like to support the show, and potentially get yourself a $50 Amazon gift card. Again, go to therebelbroker.com. Click the bid red button at the top of the page titled Take the Survey to Support the Show. And that's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be taking a survey to support the show. Once you've completed it, making sure you use the same email address both times you're asked and making sure you're using an email address I can reach you at, you will be entered into a drawing for a $50 Amazon gift card, which we do. Uh, each and every month. Well, at least we have been for like the last year. Just did it last week for March. Uh, we'll be doing it again in April. So get, no telling how long this will last. At some point, we'll stop doing it or change it into something else. I've got some interesting ideas on what we'll change it into. Uh, but anyway, get your name submitted. Get yourself in there. You're helping me out, helping me grow the show, but you're also putting yourself in that drawn for that $50 Amazon gift card. Good luck to those who haven't won yet and congrats to all the folks who've been winning over the past year or more. Okay, now we begin. Um, I wanted to talk about tariffs because, you know, as the economy goes, so goes real estate, right? The only reason real estate succeeds is because people are getting jobs at at pay levels that allow them to purchase homes. You know, so we, we have a very symbiotic relationship with the economy. If the economy is horrible, then normally you're gonna find that real estate's horrible too. Uh, so there's that. And I wanted to hit on it because I, it, it, there's absolutely a relationship between what happens with tariffs and what's going to happen with real estate. Not Even if it doesn't kill the economy in general, right? If we don't see huge, horrible economic things happening in the economy in general, there are very specific things that will hit real estate. And they're not going to hit us in good ways, right? Sometimes when an economy gets hit in certain areas, there's actually maybe a silver lining to it, Right? No, not this time. 
Now, just as a general rule, I am not a pro-tariffs guy. Uh, some of you may know that that uh, I'm also kind of a history buff, so uh, I've read up on on tariffs and looked at the history, and it always amazes me when people want to do want to do tariffs because there really is no historical example of good tariff policy. Um, and I've been on both sides of this one from time to time. When you discover how other countries really screw us over in terms of charging tariffs on things we import into their countries, you think to yourself, well, why aren't we charging the same tariff in return? Now, that seems to be at the heart of the logic that is that is being pushed forward by the Trump administration. Uh, it's not a, you know, and so this isn't one where, where there's, I think there's definitely a side that's right and a side that's wrong depending on what you want to achieve. Um, if you don't care about the outcome and want to embrace your version of fairness, whatever that might be, um, I guess that's a place to hang your hat. But what, what, from what I've read, the real goal here is to achieve parity with other nations. So in other words, it's, it's a situation where uh, in the examples I've read and the quotes I've heard from, from the administration, well, you know, China does all these crazy tariffs on cars that we import and these other things that we import, which is absolutely true. Uh, the tariffs that China imposes on our products that go into China are ridiculous, right? So what he's talking about is putting in place tariffs that are designed to sting back, right? Um, and he called it, I think he called it reciprocal, a reciprocal response to tariffs. Well, and here's the thing. You can talk about what's fair and what makes sense all you like, but if you have a status quo that's been in place for a really long time, even if you can establish in your head that it logically makes sense that the current tariff lay of the land is not equitable or not good or not fair, the fact you're changing it causes problems, right? The, the status quo on tariffs with China is ancient. Um, and we could have a wonderful political discussion about whether or not we should have given China most favorite nation status and all these other things in the early 90s. Lots of stupid things were done relating to how we interact with China. But we're focusing on tariffs here. And today, right now, tariffs are not a good thing. Um, tariffs tip and, and even if even if we think that it makes sense in terms of fairness it it will always kick off some sort of crazy response because it's different from the status quo right no matter how crazy the status quo is and we've already heard that for those of you who've been keeping up with this at all you know that china has already said they're going to respond with trillions of dollars uh, in tariffs or excuse me, not trillions, billions. <laughs> Sorry, whew, trillions would be really bad, uh, but billions, right? So a quote from the New York Times, for instance, uh, China's Mis Ministry of Commerce said on Friday that it would impose tariffs on $3 billion worth of American-produced fruit, pork, wine, seamless steel pipes, and more than 100 other products. The move was in response to the Trump administration's announcements that it would apply tariffs on Chinese steel and aluminum uh, and came hours after Mr. Trump said he could, would impose tariffs on about... 60 billion worth of Chinese made products. Okay. So how does this affect us if we're worried about real estate? Well, this, this affects the stuff, uh, that we use to build. Um, if we're going to, this is going to reduce the availability. Now, 70% of the United States consumption of steel is handled by domestic steel production. China actually represents, um, a relatively small amount of the, of the 
of the the steel and aluminum that we get provided. Um, so I'm not real sure in that mar- in that particular framework why it makes sense to make such a big statement over a relatively small portion of the market. But this, even if here's the thing, even if we tried to just do this as straight math, right? And thought, okay, component X that's used in construction of homes or buildings is going to go up by a certain amount because of this tariff or that tariff. Just because you've now done that calculation doesn't mean that's it for the number on the other end. Because between the point where that thing arrives on our shores and it arrives on the job site to get included into a building, there is a crap ton of human nature in between. We see it all the time, right? For instance, the Fed in, in increased uh, the prime lending rate by a quarter of a percent the other day. As I've said on this show before, the initial response will be clutching of pearls and people freaking out. So we'll probably see interest rates for mortgages actually go up a little bit, but then they'll go back down. There is no real tie between those two things in terms of math, but people's emotions jump in and then things happen, right? So the problem here isn't as specific as this thing we're using to build that we import from China is now going to cost more because of tariffs. The problem is the idea of tariffs, right? Because the problem on the financing side, the problem on the lending rate side isn't there's this direct relationship between the prime lending rate as established by the Fed and your mortgage rate because there ain't. It's the it's the psychological response, right? So just by like by yelling fire in a crowded movie theater, you're yelling tariffs in a crowded economy. And even if we were not putting tariffs on anything that has anything to do with real estate, there's going to be an effect on stuff that relates to building houses. And it'll 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 infect everything. Uh, because what you're gonna find is people are going to start to freak out in general. Uh, You're going to find people who make stuff in the United States are going to get a little freaked out because they're going to get concerned. The consumption of their products overseas, particularly in markets like China, is going to decline because of tariffs that China is going to impose. Folks on the receiving end of stuff that comes outside of the United States are going to freak out, even if none of the stuff they particularly buy is affected yet they're just going to get get concerned that a tariff minded thing is happening in the economy and suddenly everyone's going to be worried they're going to start to charge more things are going to get more expensive in general and tariffs just never end well i mean if you look back in history going all the way back to like 1828 the very first you know big chunk of, of, of stupid tariff stuff or whether you want to talk about the 1930s just not good things, right? Go ahead, Google it, do do a little research, do a little searching and look at what the outcomes have been and it's never been good stuff. Um, and it's and so much of it is psychological. So yes, not only will there be some direct effects in terms of components that are used in construction going up, but then there's gonna be the psychological effect that's gonna cause those components to go up in price because of perceived scarcity, Right? If, I, if we produce a thing, but we only provide 70% of it in the marketplace, we're suddenly going to maybe stockpile a little more of it. We're going to charge a little bit more for what we've got because there's this psychological end of it that just makes everyone freak out a little bit and start charging more. Now, so assuming that's correct, and I think it's pretty reasonable, I don't think I'm making a crazy outlandish statement here, where does that leave us? Well, here's where we are. We're in a position where we already discussed the numbers last week that construction is already lower than we want it to be. We are not going to see, even on par with last year, levels of construction that we would want to see, or or not even want. It's it's a question of need, 
the inventory is just too dang low. So this is likely to negatively affect that or perhaps not negatively affect necessarily the number of homes that are going to get built because a lot of them are already in the pipeline, but it may negatively affect the cost to build those homes, which will then feed a higher price for those homes when they hit the market. And we'd be talking about all all manner of homes, right? We've already established that there's not enough single family residential homes being made. When we talked about what the billing was happening in terms of architectural billings last time, single family residential homes was not making up a huge chunk, not the kind of chunk it needed to. We're still focused a lot on a lot of the multifamily stuff and a lot of commercial, but all of those costs are likely going to go up if for no other reason than the folks who sell those things that those folks consume will be more paranoid about what's happening as it relates to tariffs. So that leads to two problems. It leads to a suppression of new construction based on concerns about costs, and it also leads to a potential increase in what the market price will be for homes that are already in the process of being built. Two things that are absolutely not wanted in the current marketplace. So What's my take on the negative, the, the potential effect? It's going to it basically make the inventory scenario worse than it's been. So as, as negative as we were talking about what's going to happen with these things last week, this week, I believe that the tariff scenario actually makes things worse. And what are you going to do about it? Uh, Hopefully, we'll see some sort of a resurgence in the number of folks bringing existing homes online because obviously they're already built. There are no products to be consumed in their entry into the marketplace. This is strictly going to be something that hits new construction. And remember, some of the biggest gains we were making were in new construction. That that if we if we had any places that were having their inventory needs filled, it wasn't really being filled by folks putting their homes on the market. It was being filled by builders building homes. So really, no good news there. Now. Uh, we can we can talk about that. You can also I've got a couple of articles that I'll link to in the show notes for today's show. If you want to check this out, uh, I've got the New York Times uh, article that I can link to responding to Trump's tariffs. China shows cautious anger was part of their press release. And if you pay attention to how the Chinese manage their press statements, using the words cautious and anger together uh, is a pretty big deal for them, politically speaking. So that's something to concern, be concerned about. Uh, and then, of course, I'll also post a article from the Brookings uh, Institute. or uh, the, the title of the article is How Trump's Steel and Aluminum Tariffs Would Affect State Economies. I think that's also a good one if, you, if you're looking something to fill in your reading time this evening. Uh, but there, there's, there's no way around it. We are heading directly into a bad period. I, I don't, you know, we're not seeing any of the indicators that inventory is going to get better. We're seeing into stagnation there, which is only going to end up fueling some of these crazy prices. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some very interesting topics. Uh, I've got two more on the docket for today. One is pensions. I've got a very interesting update on pensions. And this is one of those times where I hate when I'm right. Because this one, we've talked about the various things that could kick off a huge downturn in the economy. Well, this is potentially one of them. So don't go away. We'll be right back. It's time to own your own home. Or maybe you're ready to sell your home and move on to something new. No matter what your goal is, the Rebel Broker can help. That's right. Aside from hosting this show, I am also the owner, broker of White Lawn Sons Real Estate Services, 
right here in Silicon Valley. With over 25 years experience serving Silicon Valley, Morgan Hill, San Martin, and Gilroy, I or one of my great agents can help you achieve your goals in real estate. So if you're ready to look into taking that next step towards achieving your real estate goals, point your browser at www.soldbyrobert.com. That's www.soldbyrobert.com and get in touch. Let me show you how I will earn your business and your respect. Again, that's www.soldbyrobert.com or you can call me at 408-852-0525. California Bureau of Real Estate ID 00984909. Welcome back, everyone. Well, we've definitely got a caffeine-fueled show today. I've got my venti mocha. I don't know, venti. I have my large mocha right here in front of me. And boy, do I need it. Um, You know, I wish I had better news. Uh, I've been all the articles I was sort of looking at that we could do today uh, relating to, hey, Southern California, property values went up 10% in February. Hey, San Diego, property, property, not values. I don't even want to use the word value anymore because that implies too much. Cost, <laughs> the amount it will cost you to buy one uh, in, in uh, Southern California, uh, 10%. In San Diego, 8.6%. Just crazy, crazy numbers. All of this fed by this low inventory, which we just discussed a minute ago. Now, here's one of the other things that's been a a featured topic on past shows when I've tried to lay out different things that could really feed a bad economic situation in terms of real estate. One of those was pensions. And you know, I when I was suggesting outcomes of, of what would happen Right, because for those of you who haven't done any research, just just Google the words uh, "pension" and "apocalypse," and, and you'll probably find plenty of articles. But go out there, take a look. Whether you want to talk about states that are literally um, paying one hundred percent of the taxes that they take in to pay the pension debt, right? We've got we've got places that are completely bankrupt, and that every single dime they take in in taxes goes to pay pension funds. Uh, and and basically, they have to borrow money to do all the things that they're actually supposed to be responsible for. It's ridiculous. And this is a countrywide problem. There are, even in some of the most successful areas in the United States, like in Dallas, Texas, this is a problem. It's a problem in California. All these places that are supposedly doing so well, this is a huge deal. Uh, they are underfunded by, I believe the last time we threw numbers around, a grand total of $2.6 trillion. Um, and we talked about how this is a big deal because this isn't just money that's going back and forth between banks. We pointed out that this money has more velocity than the money that we were bailing people out with back in the real estate crisis. Back in 2007, 8, 9, 10, when we were just throwing money at banks for whatever reason, uh, that was really not real money. Or it was real money, but it was really just digital money that was being transferred from one bank to another bank. It didn't have velocity. Velocity is money that goes into the economy and gets spent by individual people. So if you've got yourself in a, in a situation where, uh, you know, you're bailing out a bank and that bank is then using that money to help someone buy a house, that, that money never goes out anywhere, right? You sign a piece of paper, you suddenly owe money to someone and then you get the house. The money never ended up in your pocket. You didn't go out and buy cars with it or for refrigerators or, or sofas, low velocity, right? Well, 
Now we've got a situation where we have pensions that are supposed to be paying out tons of money to people who need that money to pay for all that stuff. Cars, sofas, refrigerators, rent, food, gas, everything, right? And what I proposed was that and all these weird solutions were being proposed, right? There was the, I, I can't remember the first state we talked about. Was it Michigan? Was that the first one? Uh, where they, people were talking about how you'd have to One proposal was that you were going to cut uh, Michigan into pieces and have bordering states take them over like that's going to happen. And what I put out there as a likely probability and, and a bad one would be that the federal government would bail out pensions. Now, I realize I have folks out there who rely on pensions. I, I'm sorry. Um, Anyone who looks at a pension and doesn't realize it's a Ponzi scheme I, I, it's not that I have no no uh, sympathy for you. I absolutely do. These are promises that were made to you, uh, but these these pensions are ridiculous. They're crazy. They've always been crazy. They've never penciled out in terms of math from the from the day they were created. They didn't pencil out. So it just never made sense, and it was never something that should have happened. There will be a transition away from them, but how do you manage the folks who are expecting that their pensions are going to get paid? Because as I said, we're talking about an indebtedness of, of two over $2.5 trillion overall. If the federal government starts taking this over and starts bailing these things out, that is going to be a huge inflationary element in our economy because all this money that will get put out there has high velocity. We just discussed velocity, right? There wasn't high velocity last time, which minimized the inflation because the money never actually went out into the pockets of people so that it could be spent on stuff. This money, as it gets printed, drops out of the sky as as they create it digitally and goes right into people's pockets to pay stuff like their rent. And then the landlord takes that rent money and goes and buys himself a car or whatever they're doing. That means all the money goes out there, and that is inflationary. High-velocity money equals much more impactful inflation, okay? And as we've talked about before, inflation is the invisible tax. It is a tax where you never fill out a form for it, but it is there nonetheless. You could decide that you're going to become totally separated from society. You're going to walk into the mountains with $100 and keep that $100 and isolate yourself and not pay a single bill and walk out of that forest a year later and that money will be worth less than it was when you went out into the wild because of inflation. Inflation managed to reach you all out in the wild hinterlands of wherever you went and take your money. That is inflation, and it's also another reason why it's really stupid to let governments be in charge of of what happens with inflation in terms of being able to just print up money. That's a whole other topic to discuss, but it is something that happens. And here we come to the really sexy part. And this comes to us from the good folks over at uh, Zero Hedge, and as usual... Tinfoil hats are optional uh, when we, whenever we read stuff from uh, Zero Hedge. The, the stuff I tend to pay most attention to is simply them, them pointing out things that are happening uh, in just real stuff, right? So it's not theories on things, just, just the ironclad facts. And that's what we have here. Quote, as the government was working on the recent new budget deal and subsequent boost in government spending, 
Congress quietly snuck in a provision that forms a committee which would use federal funds to bail out as many as 200 multi-employer pension plans where employers and labor unions jointly provide retirement benefits to employees. So that is step one. That is that is the human footprint on the face of the moon. If the moon were a great big ball of pension failure, that's what that is. Uh, it, it's the very first step in moving towards simply bailing out all the pension plans. Now, they're, they're listing off 200 here. That's a hell of a lot of pension plans. I don't know if that's all of them. Betting it's not. But... This is step one, and it will lead to inflationary influences in the economy, which will mean your dollar is worth less and less with every dollar that they pump into stuff like this. Um, they go on to state that, as is often the case, this rescue plan is too little too late. The U.S. pension system is beyond repair. And if you're depending on pension income to carry you through retirement, it's time to consider a plan B. Now, a lot of you may be thinking, well, I have a pension. I'm going to get my pension. And that may be true. But here's the thing, and we get into a little history that I'm not going to bore you with. If you really want to know the details and you really want to see how stuff like this actually ends up playing out, you should go buy yourself a book or read a webpage about the Weimar Republic in Germany uh, in the 20s uh, and, and 30s, where they printed up so much money that folks and, and the money devalued so quickly that if you were going to work in the morning, and when you went to work, a loaf of bread cost a dollar. Inflation was so rampant that by the time it got to lunchtime, that loaf of bread would cost $2. They even got to the point where people who had a job were being paid multiple times per day so that they could then go out immediately and buy things before they got more expensive in the afternoon. So... I, I, I say that just so we can take the next step in terms of understanding how that would work for us in our world today. Let's say you are a pension recipient. Because <laughs> this is going to this is going to piss off a lot of people. Let's say you're a pension recipient and you're supposed to be making uh, $100,000 a year off of your pension just to use round numbers. And you can currently afford. Lots and lots of stuff on that $100,000. Well, if they print up all of this money and inflation runs rampant now, and you look up inflation, whether you want to look at Venezuela or Brazil or, or Germany in the Weimar Republic back then, none of this works well for you because there are photos of people in Germany taking wheelbarrows of German money to go to the supermarket to buy a very short list of, of goods. So suddenly that $100,000 a year buys you a loaf of bread, right? So what you're basically seeing happen here is by printing more money, you're not getting your pension paid. You're getting your pension devalued. Now, and I have conversations with folks. I know a few folks who collect pensions here in the state. As some of you know, I was an emergency medical technician for a little chunk of time in the in the 90s, or actually a pretty good chunk of time. So I drove ambulances. I know folks who were firefighters and, and, and whatnot who got pensions uh, who or who have pensions. And they, they are very vocal about wanting to get their pension, but the, in satisfying this need through government intervention, through the government printing more money, 
that $100,000 is going to be a lot less in terms of buying power it, 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 to the point where you're not able to get what you need on a day-to-day basis based on that income. And to, all, and to those of us today, $100,000 sounds maybe pretty good. Well, you know, think back to 100 years ago where maybe someone made $1,000 a year. Now, that person from 1901 who made $1,000 in a year, if they heard that they could make $100,000 100 years later, would think, oh my God, those people must be unbelievably rich. They must live in mansions, right? That's what happens with inflation. Uh, and inflation, as, I, as I've said, is not just a market thing anymore. It is completely defined by how much, not completely, there's other elements to it, but by and large, it's defined by how much money gets put into circulation. And this puts it directly into circulation. So this should scare people. Anyone who's on a pension who thinks that the government bailing it out is going to be a good thing really needs to know more about it. Now, of course, there's there's gradients, right? And remember, remember the other conversation we've had about inflation. We get certain amounts of inflation every year. For those of you who pay attention to what inflation is, if inflation is 3% in 2017, if you did not get at least a 3% raise, you got a pay cut, right? Because inflation of 3% implies everything went up in cost by that amount. See how that works? So if you got a 2% raise when there was a 3% increase in cost through inflation, that means you got a 1% pay cut that year, Right? So think about that for a while. I think that's a creepy one. I had one other thing I wanted to hit today, and that is rents are rising at the fastest pace in almost two years. Uh, the median rent in the United States rose 2.8% over the past year to 1445 bucks, the fastest pace of appreciation since May 2016. That's data according to Zillow. Potential buyers are having an increasingly difficult time finding a home they can afford, so they're renting longer. Rising mortgage rates only exacerbate the problem as they decrease affordability as well. Uh, pointed this one out last year uh, in terms of mentioned that I saw a spike suddenly appear uh, last quarter or in the first quarter of 2018 uh, in terms of rents by about 300 bucks in my local marketplace. And there's another article from the Mercury News that points out the exact same thing. So it's nice when I can every once in a while point to something that indicates I got it right. Um, Rents are absolutely on average higher now than they were simply two months ago. Kind of mind boggling, but also lets you understand the landscape of what we're seeing. Uh, In some markets, this may not be true. This is obviously my experience in Silicon Valley, uh, but something to keep in mind for your local marketplaces to keep an eye on these numbers to see what direction they're going and whether or not you think they're hitting a peak. All right, folks. Man, I wish I had better news for you on on a Friday so you could bask in the glow of happiness over the weekend. I'm sure you'll find something else to fill that need because these will probably just keep you up at night. I truly appreciate you taking the time out to listen to what I have to say on these subjects. The goal is to always leave you with more knowledge, goodness, value uh, than time spent uh, listening. Hope we've achieved that today. Thanks again. Talk to you all next time.